Hey guys, what's up? This is episode six of Tales of the People podcast. And today I have with me Kyle Hendon, who is a communications director for Andrew Yang's campaign efforts in Arizona. And he's a former journalist. Now his life story is quite, uh, quite extensive at only the age of 21. So I'll allow him to introduce himself. Hey guys, thank you for having me on. It's always great to talk to some people during these times. As you said, I do work for Humanity Ford. Andrew Yang's new nonprofit is stemming off his political campaign. I am the communications director of Humanity Ford Arizona, as well as a board member. And what my job really entails is getting the message out about universal basic income, rewriting the rules of the 21st century economy, and making sure making sure the gains of the 21st century go into your hands and not the governments or not large corporations. All right. So uh, how has COVID been treating you generally? I'm I'm pretty fortunate because my pa- I was able to co- go back to San Diego with my parents. I have a family I get along with very well, and uh, it's also freed up a lot of time to actually work on this nonprofit. Before I would have to split time as volunteering or split time volunteering with school work, etc. But since all that is no longer in play, it's allowed me to divert a lot of time towards humanity forward, which I'm thankful for. Nice. Now, uh, before going into humanity forward and that whole uh, aspect of your life, um, you did take journalism classes and you kind of have a history in journalism, correct? Yes. I went to the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism at Arizona State. It's a pretty well-regarded journalism institution. I worked for the paper Downtown Devils. That is a student-run newspaper covering downtown Phoenix. I had an opportunity to cover a couple cool stories. My first, my first day at Cronkite, I was uh, President Trump was in town, and I was a political reporter, so I went to go take pictures of the event. But a small scale fighting broke out, and the police ended up uh, shooting tear gas at us. So I got tear gassed, and then I went back to my dorm, and my dorm is also downtown. So the tear gas wafted to my dorm, and I got tear gassed again. So it was a great, <laughs> great introduction to journalism. Right. And uh, in terms of your journalism, have you always been like um, interested in politics and covering politics? My continuing and original interest was to go into law in some regards. I wanted to be, a, I've pretty much known I wanted to be a judge since I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. But the way law school works is you need a, you need an undergraduate degree. Yeah. You need and pretty I, much eight years of yeah. your life. <laughs> yeah. That's a long but, time. And I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do for undergrad. I didn't want to do pre-law because it's a little bit of a scam and it really isolates you to only doing law. And if you don't mm-hmm. like law, you're screwed. Yeah. And I had a brother that went into sports journalism at the Cronkite school and he had a good time of it. And I, and I could, and I like communications. So I went in as a, as a public relations and right. picked up journalism on, on the side because a lot of my coursework was centered around journalism my first year. Right. And um, why journalism personally? Is it just that you were kind of unsure what you wanted to do when journalism felt right and you had your brother's kind of influence? That, that, that's, that's pretty, pretty well put. Uh, j- journalism is an important institution. One my favorite show is Newsroom by H- HBO. If anyone hasn't seen it, I'd recommend it. It's about a team of journalists, kind of our archetypal vision of how good journalism would be. And good journalism is very profound and very necessary for society. And I thought I could be a part of that 
at least until I go to law school and figure out more what I wanted to do. Right. So do you still have those dreams of going to law school? Is that kind of over with? It's it's not over with. Um, number one advice I can give to people right now is not to take on any debt. We're facing depression, depression level unemployment. Our economy, we, we haven't felt it yet, but there's going to be profound effects to our economy stretching years out unless the government does a, a radical a radical stimulus program. It, mm-hmm. Them not doing that, you do not want to take on debt. Law school is a huge amount yeah, of debt. Yeah. And you can you can go be a lawyer at any point in your life. But like I have a my father introduced me to one of the his count the counsels at the company he works with. And he went to law school at like 40. So that really mm-hmm. opened my eyes like it's this is not an immediate step. And I can mm-hmm. I can be pursuing something I'm passionate about without going to law school, especially with the economic circumstances right now. And not just that, as you said, in unemployment and, and law is already a place where there's a hell of a lot of competition. So even mm-hmm. if you get a law degree, you're not guaranteed a job and your job exactly. might be low paying, tough work. So, I mean, right yeah, now, there's, there's a huge speaking. amount of people that are that get a college degree and are underemployed, meaning yeah. they have they have a job that's under their level of schooling, yeah. which causes yeah, a massive absolutely. amount of mental mental anguish for people that are not in the proper where they want to be in life. And mm-hmm. on a personal note, I very much do not want that to be me. But on a, on a larger side, I don't know, it's something every college student right now should contend with. Is your schooling actually worth it? Because for a lot of yeah. people, it's not. And they should they should get out without so so they don't go into the debt that will trap them. Yeah, well, that leads me to my next question. Uh, besides the financial aspect, does a journalism degree make sense in 2020? Um, I mean, there's a lot of discussion about certain degrees, especially those in art. Uh, you know, you know that people say don't really make sense in the long term. What do you think about those kinds of you know views and stuff? So. It really depends on why you go to school. So there's, if you can afford to go to school without taking on debt, the college experience is still worth it because you, because you grow a lot as a person, any, any degree, especially journalism will provide you skills that will allow you to think for yourself, think critically and be able be successful later in life. But if you're unsure about your, your path, especially in journalism, it's very high risk because the job market is very competitive. It's not, it's not especially lucrative. So if you do take on a lot of debt to go to school for that degree, you're not going to see the same return on investment as a doctor would or a lawyer would. So if, but if you want to just do good work as journalism, I don't think you need a degree for that. I think you just should start writing articles, write your own blog, follow imp- follow leading journalists in the field and you'll, you'll get the gist by, by yourselves. Yeah. I think, um, what, what technology has allowed is that everyone can now voice their opinion. And, and, and if you, if you have, you know, if you put out good content and then you market that content, uh, to the proper niche and to the proper, you know, um, market, basically, I think you don't need a degree anymore to be in the media. You know, I think, um, it's more about what kind of content you put out and, where you where you get it out to yeah like as you said i'm only 21 i shouldn't be a communications director for a non-profit in any stretch of the stretch of the word but with technology we have the ability to learn on ourselves without institutions to guide us so it's really 
a great opportunity right now to forge your own path, figure things out for yourself and make your own place in the world. Because there's, because if when we have chaos, that also breeds opportunity and there's so much opportunity out there right now. Mm-hmm. Now with particular, um, to the uh, riots that you covered. You said that you covered riots stemming from a visit from President Trump and also a rally by Senator Bernie Sanders. So mm-hmm. what kind of what kind of made you interested in covering those and what did you learn from them um, and, and how did it change your perspective or, you know, um, confirm things that you already felt within yourself? Yeah, so at, at the paper, my main job was being the public relations director for the paper. But I also wanted to do journalism pieces. That meant I could be very selective with the beats I wanted to cover. And my really only interest in journalism was in politics. I did one article about uh, national disasters that didn't get published, which can be a frustrating part in journalism. You, you do a lot and you do a lot of work. And then your editor thinks, oh, this isn't that good or, or this isn't that relevant. And you, you get disappointed because you don't get published. But with the other two... Uh, I was a Senator Sanders supporter in 2016. I always wanted to see him speak. So I thought being pressed would be especially interesting. And with the riots, that was more, or the the fighting, like it was, it was very, don't, don't think it was like the riots you're envisioning. It was, it, yeah, was, it, was, it, was, just, it, it was definitely small, yeah, it was, small, smaller than you're thinking, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just really wanted to take the initiative. It was my first week of classes. I thought, all right, if I'm going to be in journalism, let's do this. And it, it was, that was a rough experience to be tear gas on the first first outing, but it yeah, uh, no, I mean, definitely I mean, showed me were, a tough job. Yeah, exactly. You kind of learned uh, trial by fire is what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you then transition uh, to, you know, being lead communications and, and kind of making this step more into a different realm from yeah. journalism? So my... Um, my first my first semester at school was way more focused about journalism. Then I met the president of the Public Relations Student Society, in which I really turned more so towards so towards public relations, which is a mm-hmm. branch of overall uh, communications. So I did that for the rest of the freshman my freshman year. I became dissatisfied with journalism as like learning at a school about journalism. I didn't, I didn't think it was that necessary to go to these classes. So I changed my major to interdisciplinary sciences, which is not too complicated. Basically it just teaches you how to think and critically think. Well, I tacked on a business organizational leadership and political science minors right. so to get a better breadth of things. And that, that leads to that's throughout my sophomore year. That's kind of when I focus on do some jobs, nothing too crazy, but then, I have an operation on my knee my the summer of sophomore year and I see and I find out about Andrew Yang and his run for presidency. And I kind of go down the rabbit hole, do a lot of analysis, try to get my political thinking in, in alignment, try to figure out if he's correct or not. And once I make the choice that he is correct, I kind of like, all right, let's do this. I reached out to Brendan Carpenter. He's the president of Humanity Ford, Arizona. And he was the lead campaign manager in Arizona at at the time. This is um, in August, and and then I started. Uh, he asked me, "Hey, do you want want to work on communications with us?" So I became just a communications team member, and I kind of rose through the ranks, doing good work, making sure the job was done right. And I became a board board member, organizer in Tempe, which is where ASU is at. Right, and then. But- 
Yeah. No, I'll continue. Sorry, continue, continue. Yeah, so this this brings us to like December. The campaign. This is the highest point of the campaign. It's right after the debate where he made a great, had a great performance. I go to Iowa to campaign campaign for Andrew in something called Yang Week. And I was there for a week. Made a met a lot of important, influential people in the art community and in politics. And then the campaign suspends in February after after the New Hampshire primaries. There's a, it was a little bit chaotic period, like, where do we go next? But then we got some internal directives from the campaign saying, hey, we're going to form this nonprofit. You guys keep going. So then every all the organizers in Arizona, we formed our own nonprofit, Humanity Forward Arizona, and I became the, a board member and the lead communications director. So what's the, what's the exact purpose of Humanity Forward? So our exact purpose is to foster the Humanity Forward, Arizona, Humanity Forward community in Arizona and provide clear directives with data-driven solutions for 21st century problems. Basically meaning we're going to try to implement Andrew's platform on the Arizona scale. Mm-hmm. So you're going to the grassroots kind of ground level and yes. Um, yes. putting those ideas out there and hoping that it you know sticks. Well, right. it's a little more strategy than that. We do have a plan. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. When, how, like, how, how did it feel to be so, so involved in, in, in a big, in a big massive campaign, such as running for presidency and at least running for that, that seat in Arizona? Um, how did it feel, um, you know, as a 21 year old being so involved and was there any pressure on you? How did you cope with it, et cetera? In, in the beginning, there was some hesitation because obviously I'm far less experienced than the majority of these people, but I'm kind of I'm kind of most comfortable in a leadership position. I'm happiest when I'm leading a team of people, and the the team I recruited for my Tempe outreach, they we are one of the most productive members coming from Arizona, Arizona, and maybe even the Yangain in its entirety. We uh, submitted proposals to National about our projects and our ideas rather early in the process. So I people have started. I've I've gained legitimacy in a lot of these organizations. Yesterday, I sat down with the president of the Income Movement, which is another big UBI advocacy group. Uh, I I talked to Andrew himself last Tuesday. So I've I've really solidified. I think my my place in the ranks, and I feel. I feel really comfortable with the people I work with. Uh, how how is Andrew as a person? He seems pretty laid back, pretty cool. Yeah, so he's exactly the same um, behind behind screens than than he is on the screen. He doesn't change much. The first time I spoke with him was very nerve wracking, but the second time on Tuesday, I was, it was just like a normal conversation with a, a friend. It's kind right. of weird because. In 21st century, we know so much about our elected officials because of social media and our the new brand of authenticity politics, which mm-hmm. which a lot of people try to subscribe to. Senator Sanders certainly achieved it. Other people have tried, but not as successful. Andrew's definitely like that. So you feel like he's your friend, and he has such a great memory that he'll he'll actually remember you if you talk to him. Because like I I, t- I tested, I asked him a question about the first time we spoke, and he picked up right where we started talking. So he actually does remember the people he meets. So it's, it's right. that extra step of like, oh, this person really cares. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you said you, you were kind of drawn to Andrew Yang while you were, you know, um, 
deciding your political affiliation. So why, why Andrew Yang and why that whole movement? So I, I have a genuine belief that the ideologies of the 20th century have, don't have a real bearing on the conversation anymore if we actually want to get stuff done. It's just liberal, conservative, they're antiquated describers of groups. At best, they categorize ways of thinking. Andrew's platform kind of transcended these party politics because they were just straight solutions to problems in the most direct way. He pulled from the best ideas from both parties and was able to unite hardcore Trump supporters, hardcore Sanders supporters, moderates, and apolitical people in one banner. And we all worked great and fostered friendships that we wouldn't have had before. So this. This mentality really was drove me towards it because it was so inclusive in the proper way, not a forced way like uh, Senator Warren's diversity efforts or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, in terms of his policies, probably his, his most um, appealing to the general man and what he, you know, what he's most popular for is the 1000 a month proposal, correct? Yes, the freedom um, dividend. So how is, that, how is that viable and sustainable? So if you think of how money is spent in the economy, the poorer you are, the higher amount of your income you spend. So right. when you put money directly into the poorest people's hands, it circulates around the economy and grows in value. It's called the money multiplier effect. So this money circulates the economy, the government taxes it at a, and receives more revenue because there's more purchases. So that, that gets you around a third of the way there to the total cost. Then right. we have to restructure some of our welfare programs. Means-tested welfare programs like SNAP are very inefficient at the jobs they do. And they're very degrading towards human life because they have a lot of obtuse restrictions. And there's a lot of testing. And it takes the onus on the government to care for you instead of putting the onus on you to care for yourself. So that so restructuring these means tested welfare programs gives us another third of the way. And then we need to add a new type of tax called a value-added tax. It's a very effective way to siphon funds from corporations. It's used in Europe. If we have one at a rate of 10%, that would get us mm. the rest of that last third. And, this would, and it would fall heavily on the tech companies and bank transfers that we do not see the gains from right now. Right. So it is also a kind of proposition um, amongst the left wing of taxing the rich. What do you think about that? So I am yeah. against the wealth tax, the way Senator Warren has described it. The problem mm -hmm. with the wealth tax is it's just inefficient and it's costly because it has a, requires a lot of bureaucracy to enforce. And it's very easy to evade because rich individuals can either take their money overseas, they can, they can divest it and put assets in their families' names. There's a whole lot of tri accounting tricks they can do to avoid a wealth tax. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of European countries got rid of it, because it's just inefficient. Yeah. I favor a value-added tax because it's a tax on the sale and transfer of goods at the point of service. Or Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, know, so I know what it is. Yeah. You just pay a little bit more, so you, you automatically get a tax yeah. back. Um, exactly. Well, not automatically, but it's staying in the system already, whereas 
Well, as, as, as what you're saying is true, most of the rich people, if they know they're going to get taxed, they're going to do charity write-offs, they're going to funnel that yeah. money to offshore accounts, they're going to... Yeah, they're gonna keep it right. Uh, Jack Dorsey just gave gave humanity forward five million dollars yesterday, so we can start helping people in need with our COVID relief calling. So mm-hmm. let's not let's not be too hard on affluent individuals, but it would be better if they paid their fair share up front and then did extra philanthropy. Like the Yang platform will help affluent people as well. It will create a mm-hmm. society that values everyone's humanity rather than the peer profit motive uh, of just free market orthodoxy that we kind of currently experience. Do you think America is ready for this kind of thinking? And 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 even if they are ready, well, I, I personally don't think they're ready. The majority of people will not, um, so, will not align to this so, kind of so thinking. We had, a, we had a protest on Saturday for monthly payments or, or last Saturday. And we got on Fox 10, which is a, a news station in Arizona. And yeah, the comments, well, it, it is, is it right wing as well? Like just yeah, it's it's uh, it's, yeah. it's it's right. But yeah, those people were not happy with our efforts. They mm-hmm. were they they think it's a free free handout, and I think that's more of a product of the situation they they lived in, and how ineffective our government has been of helping people because it's hard to tell people, Hey, the government will help you because they're so, if they're so bad at everything because mm-hmm. they've been bad at everything since George W. Bush and arguably Bill Clinton. But right. the way I have hope is we are seeing clear scientific indicators that universal basic income works, especially in terms of promoting employment rather than detracting from it. And once we right. start communicating that to people, I think they'll t- turn around on it. And what do you think about universal healthcare? So, if we're we have to be clear what we're talking about because universal healthcare, I'm in favor of, but how we do that can vary a lot. Sanders Sanders suggested Medicare for all, and I have some mm-hmm. critiques. I, I have some critiques regarding the time span he'd wish to implement this, and making it as restrictive as he currently wants it. I would favor the Australia model, which is a 12-year integration period of a public option where everyone had the ability to buy the public option. So it's essentially anyone who wanted healthcare can't have it, but it doesn't exclude those who want to purchase private healthcare themselves. But I do think we need to t- take profound, meaningful steps to make, making sure everyone has access to affordable healthcare that's a multi-layered problem. That's just not going to be solved by the government providing the service. Right. And um, what do you think is a distinction then between Bernie Sanders and Andrew Yang? Like if, 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 mm-hmm. I, if I'm looking to vote, what's the distinction between two of them? So you know? Bernie trusts the government to help you, but Andrew trusts you to help yourself. What we need to do is put resources and faith back into our own people rather than our governmental institutions forcing equality or forcing resources top down because people don't re- interact well when they're mandated to mandated to do certain things by enfranchising from the bottom up we'll heal our society at the foundations and we can prove government will work after that point once we have restore faith back into our institutions and at that point more proactive measures where the government is more necessary, for example, climate change, 
will be a lot easier and a lot, a lot more impactful than if the government just said, all right, we're doing this, this, and this. You're going to be taxed this, and we'll tell you how it works later. Right. And um, so you, you, you still like Bernie, though? You still... Um, yes, I do. You still, I, 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 still, I still like Senator Sanders. He's an American hero. He's done a lot of great work for a lot of people. I got my start in politics at just listening to him. He was in 2016. I was my 2016 was my first time I was able to vote and I was a Sanders supporter and he has a lot. His critiques are correct of the system. It's just his Mm -hmm. solutions are, are socialist in nature and it's just not Mm -hmm. an effective way to help people. Yeah, I agree. But then how, well, why do you think both Andrew Yang and Bernie Sanders, they seem to be more for the people. Why, why do you think they aren't successful? Well, I would argue Andrew has been very successful right now. We've given $2 million to people in need in low-income communities. Where he's participated in providing PPE, PPE equipment to a vast amount of Americans. He's been stemming the tide of Asian-American bigotry that's come from the wake of the COVID-19 crisis. Mm-hmm. And his presidency was a long shot. We all, we all knew that going in, but he's still mm-hmm. a profound political figure, even more so than anyone that's ran in the, in the primaries, including Bernie Sanders, especially recently. The problem with Senator Sanders is he's, he's ineffective of what, about what he wants to do. He's been in the Senate for decades. He hasn't, He's moved the discussion forward for the progressives, but there hasn't been any solid gains. And he's failed to consolidate progressive-leaning individuals like Andrew Yang and his people and Tulsi Gabbard and his people into one camp. So this idea idea that his is the only way is kind of ingrained in the Bernie campaign and is largely the reason why they were unable to consolidate after they had that huge lead leading up to Nevada. Mm. So you see, so you agree with, I guess, socialist concept, but you don't think he should go as far as Bernie does. I don't, I don't agree with socialist concept because it's, it, it, it places the onus on government to provide rather than people to enfranchise themselves. Yeah. That's ba- basically he, his top down approach. I disagree with, which is why, which is largely why conservatives don't want socialism because they view it as too much of a government interference in their life. However, mm. if the government's just sending you a check and saying, you can do whatever you want with this. We trust you. That has profound effects on people's mental health, their prosperity. And it also revitalizes our capitalism engine because people can't participate in a cap- capitalist market if they don't have capital. This provides cap- consistent capital to every American. And we'll see, we'll see the lim- direct elimination of poverty almost immediately. How much? How much is one thousand dollars? One thousand dollars per month is a little bit below the poverty line in America. If we increase it to two thousand dollars a month, which we could, but would require ca- recalibrating that value added tax that we talked about mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah, that would be almost a little bit under double the amount of people. In living in poverty today. So for anyone living in poverty, this is a game changer automatically. It'll re- reinvigorate their local economies. You'll see, you'll see the streets have less crime. You'll see people's mental health increase. 
and everyone above that, it provides breathing room just so you can focus on things that make your make yourself a better person, invest investing in your future and your children's future. And you're able to say to your children that, hey, your country actually cares about you. You're not going to be left alone once you turn 18. And we have there will be resources waiting for you once you come of age. Right. And now with all that being said with regards to your policies and well, his policies and his campaign, what do you think can be improved um, over the next few years? That's an interesting question. No, we've been wrestling with that a lot. Uh, I think we need to ter- get a- get away from the Democratic Party a bit. It's one of, probably one of my pros- profound disagreements between Andrew and myself. He mm-hmm. he he's of the mind that uh, that we should you, we should go within the Democratic Party, and I'm kind of of the mind that we need to go in the Republican and Democratic Party first. I disagree that he, with his endorsement of Vice President Biden, I think we should like stay largely neutral in the mm-hmm. com- in in the in the general and really not even we shouldn't even really be talking about who we voted for. Everyone, the only almost half of our supporters are conservative Republicans, and it would be better if we just said, "Hey, we trust you." You are smart enough to know who you want to vote for, and we won't blame you either way. I think that if you get away from the Democratic Party, I think America is too in love with the duopoly. Well, the our our system makes it impossible for a third party. So yeah, yeah. Like uh, if, as long as we have a first past the post system, we will never have uh, <clears throat> a third party. Now we are in favor of something called ranked choice voting which would open the door to third party candidates in a profound way, which may, may, maybe is, at that point it's possible to have a third party if we kind of restructure how we vote. And that's something we're pushing for on a local level. I, I haven't seen the projections, but, but I, I find it doubtful that we can get it implemented on a federal level before 2024. So we will have the ultimate choice of, hey, Andrew's going to be running as a Democrat in 2024. We have to be Democrat. We have to do Democrats now. It's just, there's no other way unless we get mm-hmm. ranked choice voting first. And at that point, it's a different conversation. But so that's kind of his argument and why didn't, why we should be going to Democratic Party, which isn't a bad argument, but I just think we'd be more impactful if we reached out, had more outreach to our Republican out, uh, counterparts. Right. And uh, what was your reaction to him? Um pulling out of the of the of the race. Oh, that was tragic. That was a that was a traumatic event for everyone in the Yang gang because he you know politicians always say they um they're going to the end because and we're we're fighting the good fight, which is what they have to say. As a organizational as someone with a background in organizational leadership, leaders have to invigorate confidence and por- portray success. Or else people won't follow you. So that's just that's just yeah. a trick that everyone has to do. But yeah. we we all believed it. We all thought Andrew can stay until the very end, and everyone will degrade so much that he'll just be the clear choice, despite the votes, despite everything. Which was a little little naive, I must must say. But so it t- took us a lot by surprise when he suspended. And one of the biggest problems with the camp- Andrew Yang campaign itself was communication to the grassroots. It was very ineffective. 
a lot of times we are surprised by their announcements as much as the general public, which is not good in the organization. Mm-hmm. And which is why I started the Step Forward podcast for Humanity Forward Arizona, which is bringing news directly to the grassroots from the leadership in the Humanity First movement, which is the new grassroots volunteer organization for the Andrew, Andrew Yang campaign. Right. And uh, in terms of yourself, what's your long, long-term vision? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, one more time? In terms of yourself, like for you, what's your long-term vision and where do you want to go personally? I don't know. I do still have aspirations to be a judge. That does seem like a good fit for my temperament yeah. and, and my goals for society and a good way to be impactful because our judicial mm-hmm. system is very, very mess, messed up and it needs smart people at becoming ju- judges and not just corporate attorneys that get people off and <laughs> make, make a lot of money. We need co- quality judges. But right. in the meantime, I'm just going to keep r- riding the political wave until it runs out of steam and I'll reevaluate at that point. All right. That's cool. I mean, I understand that. I think it, I mean, with COVID-19 and your age, you have a long time to really figure it out. Yeah. You don't have to rush. You don't have to really rush into anything. Yeah. So from all this, uh, what's, what's the most, um, what's the most important lesson you learned? It's better to fight for something you believe in than, than working a job. It's probably the most important lesson I've learned in the campaign. I was, uh, I was approached by the Bloomberg campaign while I was working for Andrew. And yeah, I'm sure, I'm not sure if you remember, but he was offering big checks yeah, to people yeah, that are working yeah. for him. Big, big checks. Yeah. And the check was very, as a college student, not making any money and doing 20, 30 hours of volunteering per week, that check looked good. It looked really mm-hmm. good, man. But I, I, I chose to stick with the Andrew Yang campaign and it's so much better for, for myself than working for, working for the Bloomberg campaign or even taking like a, a, a office job somewhere. Or working for right. just for like a random company. Like I'd rather be working on something I'm passionate about than getting a paycheck. And not everyone Basically. has that luxury, which is a, another reason why we need the freedom dividend. Basically, go after um, go after your dreams rather than the check. Yes, exactly. Right now, um, at the end of all episodes, we have a kind of rapid fire session. All right, let's do so, this. So, what would you change in your past? Um, I played basketball as a kid, and I had. I just wrecked my knees, so I would not play basketball. <laughs> I, I think I think sports is worth it, though. Like, yeah, I would. I mean, if, if you enjoy it, like if you really like to play basketball, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I uh, it would have been better if I liked swimming. Yeah, <laughs> it like I, I wrestled as a kid, uh, and I would have continued doing that. But I trained schools, and they didn't have the team. That would have right. been better than basketball. It's just basketball is just horrible on the knees. I don't understand how NBA basketball players walk around. Yeah, that's actually something I, I <laughs> also considered. Like, And they put a lot of... Pr- they do it all the time. I don't understand how their knees aren't wrecked and how their ankles aren't wrecked. Well, I, I, be, it beats me. I would, hate, I would hate to be their orthopedics when they're 60. Yeah, but I mean, checks probably with it. And it's, it's what they want to do. So Yeah, no, it's like, but yeah. Yeah. There's certain sacrifices you take for doing that career, obviously. Yeah, exactly. These people all yeah. think it's worth your body, it. So. Your body has to take that sacrifice. I'm only five uh, I'm only five ten too. I didn't have a long term career in basketball oh, in no. my future. Right. Well, yeah, you should have <laughs> really never played. You should have really never played. No, but, um, should not have. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite song or at least favorite song right now? 
So I'm, I'm talking about right now is uh, My Body by Koff the Giant. I don't know. It's, they have one of those weird indie bands, but it's just, it gets me in the mood mm-hmm. and work and start start moving and do things fast. So it's been helpful. So right. it's been helpful during quarantine. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Uh, Saving Private Ryan. You know, mm, I, I, grew up, I grew up watching that with my Tata. It was always, yeah. always one of our favorite things to do. And it's a great movie as well. What are you listening to right now? I uh, I'm listening to Yang Speaks is Andrew's new podcast. As communications director, I need to kind of be on top of what he's saying so we can communicate it out. So a lot a lot of podcasts, a lot of news. Right. And what what animal would you want to interact with? Elephants. Why elephants? Because I think we're cute. <laughs> <laughs> who would you Who would you want to have dinner with dead or alive? Interesting. So there's a, the original person that got me into universal basic income was a historian named Rutger Brenman. And mm-hmm. he wrote a book called Utopia for Realists, which is one of my favorite books. And so I'd like to have dinner with him. All right. Uh, what, what food can you eat every day and not get bored? Milk. It's not exactly a food, what? but I, I, know, I know. I don't know. I don't know why, but I just, mm, milk. Mm. Have, you, have you made the transition to oat milk or soy milk? Anything? Nah, I tried. <laughs> nah, you just you just cow milk. Um, yeah, it's also your... horrible for you too. But <laughs> yeah, no, I heard, but I mean, I like it too. So, <laughs> what is your best trait? I'm I'm very good at um, building a team for my goals. I have a strong exec- executive mind and task management, so I can like if you need if you need something done, I can figure out how to do it, even if I don't have the skills myself. What can you work on within yourself? Originally, I would say arrogance because I used to be a really arrogant guy, but I don't think I don't think that's a problem anymore. I I could be more observant. Like uh, I have one person on my team named Nathan Belcher, and for whatever reason, I just spell his name wrong every time I write it down. So I could mm-hmm. be more observant of what I do in my life and more considerate. Right. I assume being your childhood dream would have would have been to be a judge. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Something on law, doing something I I like doing. Who's your favorite superhero? Wolverine. I I liked I liked the wife beater for Halloween as a kid. Simplest <laughs> costume ever. So I mean, it works. <laughs> yeah, very low key costume. My 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 costume right now is a leather jacket, uh, white t shirt and jeans as a greaser, which is right. During winter, which what I look like anyway, so. I think from X-Men, I would have to choose Gambit. Gambit's cool. I like Gambit. Yeah. I like Nightcrawler, too. My, yeah, Nightcrawler. If I had to choose a superpower, it would be the ability to affect gravitational fields. I think that'd be really cool and, like, absolutely OP of a power. Mm, nah, I would probably want to teleport or something. Yeah, Maybe teleport to people. Well, I could just be Superman. Superman is pretty much yeah, just, do, just, do, just do everything. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, are you into cars? If so, what's your dream car? Uh, Tesla Cybertruck. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not very into cars, but I mm-hmm. thought I wasn't into trucks. But uh, I realized after he released the uh, the Cybertruck that I'm not into gasoline trucks, yeah. and I'm very much into trucks if they have if they're electric. Have you seen how uh, insane he's been? Oh, he's gone. I don't know. So so. Elon's a, a weird character. So you have to take savants like that with a grain of salt because they are 
very radically intelligent in one aspect, mm-hmm. which is technology in Elon's case. But it doesn't discount his political political leanings. He was an Andrew Yang supporter during the campaign. So we have a lot of affinity and a lot of thank, thankfulness towards him because he gave us a big boost in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it's tough. The, the situation we're all experiencing is tough. Even with the right. protesters right now, like what they're doing is dangerous, but the government is not effectively responding to the needs of the American people. And at the same time, telling everyone they need to stay at home and lock in place. You can't mm-hmm. have both. So yeah. as long as the government's not responding effectively, it's hard for me to blame these people. It's hard for me to blame Elon. Absolutely. Uh, what is success to you? Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting one. I'm all about results. So if when people got that first round of stimulus checks, that was that was success in my mind. Because uh, originally, this is some inside information, the people in Washington were not considering that stimulus check at the time. But our, right. our network took action and we had a massively successful Twitter campaign and letter writing campaign to our representatives. And it got, we got it back on the table and we were, I, I felt a profound sense of success of being a part of that. And Andrew has 160 policies that he wants to implement. And I agree with like, the vast majority of them. So we start taking them off the list. I'll feel success every time we do that. Nice. Nice. Um, well, I hope you had a good podcast. You can pretty much, uh, you know, promote yeah, yourself now. Your podcast. You can promote your podcast and um, anything else you want to troll there. Yeah. So tune in to the Step Forward podcast if you're interested in Andrew Yang or Arizona News. We cover both. Anyone in Arizona, sign up for, for Humanity Forward Arizona. Anyone who wants to be involved in, at the national level, reach out to me and I'll connect you with the Humanity First Movement and their national organization. We have needs as as simple as people calling uh, low-income people that signed up to receive uh, to receive some financial support, and we need we need a lot of people to help vet and make sure these are people that are in need. So it's simple as that. Or we have, if you want to become a leader in in the organization, we have lots of opportunity to for people to galvanize around whatever projects you want or whatever ideas you may have. We're very open to listening to new ideas and. I'd encourage you guys just to stay vigilant, try to keep a cool head. And whenever you can see an opportunity to insert yourself in a conversation, take it. And don't argue with people online. It's always a trap. (laughs) All right, guys. I hope you'll enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for coming on. I'll see you all next week.